This copyrighted podcast of the James Perspective has been paid for and funded by James M. Wilkerson. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of this podcast are a permutation and combination of words and sentences used in this podcast without the express written consent of James M. Wilkerson and the James Perspective is strictly prohibited. FX. We got Jim and Jim's on the phone. Good morning, Jim. Texas Jim. And yep. your state, they have been standing up to the federal government. Yes. Good old Texas. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know anything about that. Really? Yeah. I know. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to project myself on him, but I can tell you in law school, they could have had a, they could have, someone could have nuked Moscow and I would have known. You, you just get, you get that. At least that first year for us, it was so busy. You just didn't notice. But you do know that Kansas City won, right? No, the the Taylor City Swifts. (laughs) I uh, I actually found out this morning whenever Glenn told me. (laughs) Yeah, and then and then she's she's chugging beers in front of a big window with a satanic guy next to her making Satan signs. It's not I'm not joking. Wow. And then Kelsey. Yeah. runs into his uh, coach and nearly knocks him over. He's a 65-year-old man. Gets mad at him, and he bumps him. And well, if he's 65, he's young. I know, but yeah, but you, you, you're talking about a, <laughs> a, na- a National League tight end coming up at you angry and bumps you like ang- out of anger. So, so the Taylor, Taylor, Taylor Swift thing with a, with a, with a, a guy making de- demon signals and a cross upside down. Oh, and Kelsey bumping into people. That's what I got out of the Super Bowl. Wow. But I'm happy for Glenn because the best quarterback in the league is on his team. And that's what he wanted, not the other crowd. Well, I, I cheered for Kansas City when you told us at lunch that Glenn was from Kansas. Yes. So that's that was enough for me. And I'm happy for the Kansas City Chiefs. And it was in overtime that they won. Yes. Yes. Now, the funny thing is, is everybody's going to hear this Wednesday. Wonder why are we talking about that today? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, congratulations, Glenn. I'm, I, because we 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 uh, what did we do? We looked back on it. There you go. You know, yeah, he was reminiscing before. There they won one, and Hank Ram was there in the seventies, or this the sixties? Sixties? Yeah, it was like it was already in the in the merger of the two leagues in '69, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and that was the year that we went to the moon, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, I and think so. That's the year that Charles Manson did his thing. Oh well, I, yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah, my goodness. I think Kent State was that year. You're a walking history book. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, and that's the year we moved to Cameron. Really, from Lake Charles. Mm-hmm. So that's that. I don't think this is what we were going to talk about no, today, it's though. Not, was it? It's not scripted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'm going to let. We normally let Chris lead off today, but since he stayed up so late watching the Super Bowl and Jim went to bed, he's ready to talk about it. Yes. I will let you introduce the topic, Jim. Okay. Uh, today's topic is going to be uh, Luke 19, 11 through 27. Uh, this is a parable of the Ten Minas. That might be what's your subtitle in the Bible. And this is also a parallel passage to, let's see, Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Yep. Yeah. And so, um, anyway, I, I've heard this passage being preached yesterday at my church, and 
I thought that Pastor Brad did a very good job. I uh, figured that this would be a good topic today because this sits on the issue of the afterlife um, and what some of the things are that we can uh, expect. And that's what the whole sermon series is on until we get to Easter. And so I really appreciate that they're actually focusing on the afterlife because, as you guys know, resurrection is a very big part of my theology. Um, and so anyway, I'm not going to read the whole parable, but the gist is, is that there's a nobleman who is going away to be crowned king. And obviously, this is a reference to Jesus Christ who's going away to be glorified and crowned king on our behalf. And there are going to be people who don't want him to be king, and that's mentioned at the very beginning. And so he's already recognizing that people are going to outright reject him. But to his servants, to the people who have accepted him, they're the ones who are given Amina in this parable. And in this parable, the Minas are, are distributed, it seems, um, equally, that everybody gets an equal share and an equal opportunity as far as being able to produce what they can with the Minas. And so uh, you have one servant who produces uh, 10 Minas from that one Mina. You have one servant who has produced five Minas. And then another servant who has taken that Mina and hidden it away in a cover. And the master comes back and he... Uh, he gets a report from each of the servants, and the one with the ten minas uh, reports to the master that he's produced ten, and the master says, or the king now, uh, says, uh, since you have done much with a little, then you will be given stewardship over ten cities. And then to the next one who produced five minas, he said, well done, again, uh, you will be given uh, stewardship over five cities. And then to the one who hid the Mina away, who said, uh, Sir, here is your Mina. I have uh, laid it away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. The master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did, what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money in a deposit so that when I come back, I could have collected it with interest. And so he's using the servants on roads against him, saying that, you know, I think that this is a charge that you actually frequently hear from atheists and secularists is that God's a tyrant or that God's an evil dictator. And this seems to be an allusion to that, that uh, you have people who are going to call me this and you knew that I was such. So why did you behave this way? Um, and so anyway, he comes back and he takes that mina from this servant and gives it to the one with 10 talents. And that's where you get the uh, famous Matthew economics or even Luke in economics that um, some more, wait, the one who has more, more will be given to him. The one who has less, less will be given to him. Um, and so there were several conclusions that were built from this passage, which, which Pastor Brad, I think, did very well. Um, first is that the king went away, or that the that Christ went away, he's coming back as king. Uh, so be ready for that. You do not know when he's coming back. The second is, is that if you receive the gospel, you've received the mina, and you've received something to do with. Like, it's not just something for you to hold on to um, and for you to hide away. The third thing is that there are serious implications as far as your actions in this life being connected to to the next life. So there are consequences from this life to carry over into the next life. 
Uh, and then the fourth thing is that we're not going to be some angel sitting in a cloud with a harp, or we're not just going to be some sort of um, in some sort of unconscious platonic bodiless existence with God and Nirvana that Buddhism teaches. We're not going to be that. There's going to be some sort of stewardship that's given into, to us to the ne- into the next kingdom, and that brings us to another point. Our, our conscious being in the next kingdom is not going to be in some sort of timeshare to where we just kick back and relax. We're going to have peace and we're going to have rest, but it's going to be that sort of enjoyment that you have whenever you're working on something that you really, really love and it hardly seems like work. That's what it seems like it's going to be. You're going to be given stewardship over something because you've done a lot with the little here in this life. And then the third thing is that those who refuse Christ as king are going to be slaughtered. They're going to be killed. Uh, and so that's that last one's just a cold hard fact. Like, I really can't get around that in scripture as far as uh, universalism goes and things like that. So um, I thought that he did a very good job yesterday in presenting all that. And it really catered to sort of my understanding of the resurrection. It's not that it affirmed it. It's that, you know, every time I hear someone preach on it a little bit more, I learn something new about it. It modifies my beliefs a little bit. And one of them is that there is going to be stewardship, you know, in the next kingdom that is largely determined by what you do here. And it's not a way of earning salvation, but it's a matter of it is a matter of earning stewardship in the next kingdom. God's the only one who can give stewardship, but this is how he's decided to give it to them. He said, if you do a lot, if you do much a little here in this kingdom, then I'll give you that much more in the next kingdom. So, Jim, do you think it's talking about the millennial reign of Christ, or do you think it's uh, talking about eternity? I think he's talking about eternity. Okay. Yeah, and so, uh, and I'm not necessarily sure. My theology on the millennium is not fully developed. I am a pre-millennial, and I believe in the literal millennium, but I'm not necessarily sure whenever we're dealing with passages like this, that this is going to be, that this parable is going to be applying to the millennium or to the afterlife after the millennium. Um, and so, yeah, but my guess would be my understanding from this passage. If I take out, if I, if I don't look at revelations that this is talking about eternity. Does this mean that forever and ever and ever and ever since I've been who I've been and Glenn been who he's been, that Glenn's going to be my boss in heaven forever and ever and ever. So I'm not necessarily sure. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure how all that works. I just know that whenever I look at this passage and I see that there, I, I see that there's a shaping of you down here on earth. Like that's that's what God's trying to do. He's trying to shape you and form you in preparation for this afterlife. It's a, it's the, it's like a, someone called it an apprenticeship. I think that might have been Randy Alcorn who called this life an apprenticeship. And uh, you can outright reject the mentor and you know, just be completely fired from the job, which that's death. Or you can uh, be a lousy worker and uh, not really be prepared to go out to the world. So you're not going to have that much responsibility whenever you get to the next world. Or you could be a great worker and guys like this is the this is the servant that I want. This is the one that I want to rule on behalf well, uh, on my behalf. Can I can I put a can I put a quarter in Chris's slot? Yeah. I noticed that God was not Punishing the poor mouther. I mean, actually, was not not rewarding the poor mouther. That's right. He was rewarding the ones who went out and worked and produced and made money. Yep. <laughs> Just saying. That's good. I look at him and go like, oh, <laughs> he, he, he admonishes the poor man. 
Yes. You don't have to be poor. You could have been rich. Right. You could have made money for me, but you didn't. You were poor mouthing it. Very good. And, and you know, the one thing that ties into this in my thinking is that it says uh, when Jesus ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. So in the parable that we're studying now of the uh, Minas, uh, you can see that everybody is going to be judged according to what they did. Now, uh, the job of, of the pastor, uh, the fivefold ministry, the job of the fivefold ministry is is to get the saints uh, to laboring in in the kingdom, in the work of God. And uh, uh, I, I think many times today they're they're looking at for a pastor or somebody that's going to build the church. Well, what he's got to do is uh, minister to the uh, people that are there. Uh, and according to their abilities, well, he's been given, uh, you know, this ability to train them or teach them so they can rise up and do the work of, of God. So uh, it, actually, it, this applies to everybody that calls Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. And, um, you know, uh, and then he says that when you see the day approaching, talking about the last days, not to forsake the assembling together of yourselves. Church is not a Baptist, Methodist, Assembly of God, Pentecostal, interdenominational thing. Church is a Jesus Christ thing. He is the head of the church and we are the body. So in the body, we have a function and we've got to uh, have an unction to get in our function. Well, yeah, but I was looking at this guy, <laughs> the guy with 10, he was Baptist. The guy with five was Methodist. <laughs> it's on here. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> no, no, you know, I, I want to say this. I want to say this that I hope that the guy who failed got another shot because I have failed at that. I sat on it before. I have failed at making money and not putting it back, trying to thinking you can squat, you can hold it, and you can't. It's not, I, I guarantee you, Glenn can tell you, you can't let money sit there it'll die well e even the lord said in the parable he said you should have put your money in the usury which probably means like an account that's going to pay you some dividends or some interest so 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 how does that work jim does the guy with the one talent that didn't and i know that i know you're saying i i, I when i read this i can make them work together that matthew if you the chosen even has it anywhere close was just completely OCD. He had he had to write everything down exactly. Whereas it looked like Luke was just saying, "Hey, look, there was ten talents put amongst them all, uh -huh. or whatever ten pounds. It doesn't matter. It's the same story." Yes. What I want to know is is that what is 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 that guy done? Is he the one who squandered the one, or does he get another shot someday? Well, if I'm reading this text by itself, then the text says what the text says. It doesn't show anything about his getting another shot at that. Yeah. I know he took that one but from I, him. I also also want to emphasize here that this is like the parable is using real life examples to be able to portray something that is otherworldly in concrete terms for his audience. This passage, I think it would be a mistake to say that this is about money. This is something about much more than money. Well, well I mean, I, 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 yeah. I mean, I, 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 every, every time I've heard somebody talk about Matthew's part of it, the one that because they call it the talent. Yeah, is you're wasting your talent. That's kind of what they would 
you know, it, I know that didn't mean the same thing, but people would use that as an example. So if you were given a, a really good mind and you didn't use your mind, you went off and just did junk with your very, very, and, and I have known brilliant, brilliant people who've done nothing with it. That's true. Yes. And so I would yeah. say that any, anything, and, and I get you, I want to make sure you understand that I get you, Jim, that this thing has a, has a significance far beyond just sanctification. This has something to do with the ramifications in the here and after. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. I get you. I get you. I want to make sure you don't think I don't get that. I don't. But but I will tell you that having been guilty of what that the guy at the bottom did, I, I I'm hoping that that wasn't the end. But I'm still alive. Obviously, I got another shot at it. Yes. I've had shots at it. I've used. I haven't done it again. But I, I'm just saying that I have been guilty of saying, you know what? Uh, I don't know if I'm ever going to have any more money. I better hold this back. And that's just not. It's supposed to be dynamic. Yeah. And so I, so several things, uh, first is that you seem to like, there, there seems to be probably over confession and over repentance in our family. Not that there's any such thing. I think the confession and repentance is good, but we were definitely a first John one nine family and our family really, I, I, I didn't know this until I ventured outside of our family. Like there's apparently a confession problem in the United States. Our family really doesn't have one terribly. We can always do better confession. We can always do better at repentance. But you reared us as a first John one nine family. I think that repentance is a big part of this. Um, the the second thing is that whenever we're talking about the meanest, this is something that is dealing even much more than the talents that have been given to you. I think that the talents that have been given to you are to help you with the investing of the mina, but the mina that was given to you is the good news, is the gospel. True. And so this is what you're supposed to be investing in. I think that if you're looking at this, this is a mission passage. I got you. I got you. If I I, I got you, you're, if, if money hasn't been my strength, that's not the point. The point has been, have you been a good father? Have you been a good steward with, with, with your talent that he's given you? And are you looking forward towards the kingdom and the resurrection of your resurrection of Jesus to join the resurrection of Jesus had? Am I, I getting are you? I, and also, are you putting? Are you uh, doing what Christ asked, which is giving this gospel to others, investing okay. it to others? And so, and I think that I think that by and large, like I wouldn't, I don't, I don't want to speak on God's behalf or anything like that. That's between you and God. And so, um, but that's just something that I would take into consideration here: is that this is. This is talking much more than uh, even just being a good father. It's it's spreading the gospel. That's what this is discussing. And God, God can like this is one of those things where uh, where I think Calvinists like as far as five point Calvinists get it wrong. God could do it on his own. Absolutely, I think that if God wanted to do all of this on his own. If he wanted to make all of the universe pink, he could do it. The thing is, they chose not to do it for some reason. Okay, and that's that's what look like Pepto Bismol. God, God has God has left a large part of the kingdom to be carried out by His servants. Right? This doesn't mean that God can't carry it out Himself. It's just for some reason He wants us to be a part of this, and so this is what this is getting at. God is God's money. It's God's meat, but He gave it to His servants, and then His servants do stuff with it. And then God rewards the servants. And so this doesn't take away any of God's sovereignty. He, he chose this program to be performed in that way. 
And so we're we're given this gospel and we're expected to go invest it into the world. And that means making disciples. And so it is it's evangelistic. It's, it's missions oriented. I think that that's what this verse is getting at. It doesn't mean that you go knocking door to door necessarily. I don't think that. But definitely, you know, have the social map in your mind as far as people who you know in your life. And I think that you've done a very good job at that, like being open about your Christianity, you know, like just sort of serving as an example for people, not not being part of this world and not unnecessarily uh, quarreling and things like that, like being a good shining light for people to follow, sort of like mom is at Louisiana Tech. Like she's doing a really good job at that, you know, like trying to put things on the back of a wall, like the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Uh, and so it's just sort of proselytizing it that way, investing it in that way, bringing people into the kingdom that way. That's what this passage is really getting at. Well, you know, do a lot with Go ahead. Do a lot with the, with this good news and gospel, then you're going to be given more stewardship of the next kingdom, and you don't need to be looking at it as something as this is going to be some tiresome toil. We're not going to get rest from our toil. It's going to be like a project that you do, and time flies by so fast because you're just having such a fun time doing this project. That's what it's going to be like in the next kingdom. That's how I'm taking it. Okay. I think he's calculating how many much money he's made with the 10 talents that he's been given. That's why Chris is quiet. <laughs> well, I can't get a word in edgewise. But one of the thoughts that's coming to my mind, and I was taking the time just a moment ago to try to Google it and, and read it. But I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 14 that talks about the gifts of the Spirit. Now, I, I, I do believe that we... We're talking about a lot of things when we go into these parables. We are talking about money. We are talking about uh, uh, other things like what Jim is mentioning. And, um, uh, you know, whether we're, we're a witness for Jesus. But then it says that we are to seek earnestly the best gifts. And I believe it's in Second Corinthians chapter 14. It lists nine gifts okay. of nine gifts of the spirit. And. Those gifts are there, but we need to, and they're for every believer, and we should seek earnestly the, the best gifts. Now, one of them is the gifts of healing, the working of miracles, um, uh, tongues, interpretation of tongues, uh, prophecy, uh, working of miracles, and I haven't counted on my fingers how many of them I've already mentioned, but, but there are nine gifts of the Spirit. And those are given to everybody. But the problem is that it's not preached in church churches. It, it is in some, but not all. Because many don't even, they, they, they naturalize rather than spiritualize these things. And the gift of healing, if you're a medical doctor, you have the gift of healing. That's a bunch of baloney. Uh, these are spiritual gifts. And we are to seek earnestly the best gift. So. Uh, you know, I, I really have a concern, and I've been preaching a lot lately about how that we've got away from a miracle God, a healing God. Uh, we, we've got away from uh, that that he w will prosper you. I use the word rich and define it as having more than enough. And a, a person with just a, a, you know, a little bit in a bank, but they're making a little bit each week and all of their needs are being supplied. Well, they they're rich. They they have more than enough. And that's the way that I define it. And um, so what you do with your money 
has has something to do with the kingdom of God also. May I? May I this, I've thought about this yesterday when you were preaching. That, you know, I, I you didn't bring this up, but it just came to me during that time. Um, if I were to sum up what I think you're really saying, and, and you can correct me. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. Uh, I know I can't put them in yours or Jim's. <laughs> um, I think that if I could sum it up, it would be that there is no virtue in being poor. I think that's what's the problem. And there's just a whole lot of people out there that think I am righteous because I'm poor. If I, if you have money, you're not righteous. And I think that there are a lot of people who think that. I mean, and I believe, to- I believe that a lot of the uh, preachers in the uh, 20s and 30s, that they probably preached that to people. And it's been handed down uh, from, from this, this group of people, the next group of people, handed down through the years. And, and so, so going to this, Jim, and, and, and stretching it to everything, you know, more than just money, going back to that, if, if we take that idea that being, being uh, poor is not um, a virtue in itself, if, if you need to be, if that's okay. In other words, you got, you got enough if that's what God wants you to be. But I've, I've thought about this when it comes to people who don't have friends and family and whatnot. Do they, do, is there, a, is there a, a, a similar idea that some people think that that's just their burden here on earth and that that's a virtue? Well, the number one thing people need to realize they do have a father, Father God, and it's his good uh, pleasure to uh, bless us. And that's, that's given over and over and over again uh, in the Bible, saying it different ways. And the blessing of Abraham you actually are going to be rich. You're going to have more than enough. I, the, the thing that, that really baffles me is how that people will fight to argue that they are poor. And that's right in the face that's of God. That's what I'm getting at. I think yeah. people who said that will probably. All right. So now with all that said, I want to go back and say where am I missing on, the, on this today is that this passage that Jim is talking about is more what happens when the king returns. So this is a parable that's more about the returns you get in heaven or, yeah, the returns you're getting in heaven. Is that right, Jim? Is That's where that I'm, I think that I'm trivializing I'm, or, or maybe missing what the purpose of that passage. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to say trivializing it. I will say that a large part of the conversation that we're having as far as this being something to do with wealth or talents is that if we are taking that as what this passage means, that we're missing the point. I think the point is that we've been given the good news. The king went away. Actually, so Christ went away as Messiah to be crowned as king. He's going to come back as king, and he's going to demand an accounting on what you did with the meaning yeah, that he I gave you, namely the gospel. And that explains That's why he, that, that, that guy gets no other chance. It's too late. The king's returned. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, you, yeah, if you're gotcha. reading this, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so... Don't expect a second chance that uh, the king's gone. And this is kind of, you know, mentioned over and over again in other parables where uh, the master goes away and the, you have people who are having a party at the house. And there's there doesn't seem to be any indication that there's going to be a second chance. They don't know when the master's coming back. And whenever he does, that's it. Literally all hell breaks loose. And so um, and so anyway, yeah, I, I wouldn't I'm not gathering. There's a second chance 
in these passages. I can see that. I can see if you're applying this to the here to heaven, if you're at talking about after you've been you've got your resurrection body or you're in heaven, you too late, you're now at the bottom. Yeah. Permanently. Yeah. Now I will say I will say that as Paul says in other parts, uh it's it's in one of the Corinthian letters that like so your 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 works are built on your on the foundation. Right. And that foundation I think would be the Mina. The the foundation is the gospel. And then you have the works that are built up on top of that. And any work that you have built that was to glorify your name or that wasn't to glorify God, that's going to be burned away. And those people who whose works have all been burned away will still be saved. It's just as if by fire. And so they're going to pass through the fire. They will be saved. And this is by the way I think where Catholics get the purgatory reference, but they're they're going to pass through that fire and be saved still. So it's it's still going to ultimately, I like from what that passage appears, to be a happy ending in the sense that they're saved. But what they get as far as stewardship on the other side of things, from these parables, it seems like not much. Because they can't, it's almost like you can't be trusted. All right, what, you know, I, I heard you read that verse. Where is it saying that, 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 that those who reject Christ will be killed? What's it, what's, what is yeah, it? Yeah, gotcha. Um, he replied, I'll tell you that everyone who has more will be given, but as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. For those en- enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Okay. So wasn't talking about the guy with one talent. No. Okay. No. He was talking about, uh, as far as how I'm reading it, no. I think that there's some disagreement as far as if he's talking about the guy with one talent in there, but... Uh, I think that he's talking it, and, and honestly, it could be liberal. It could be liberal Christians who he's talking to there, who had at one point accepted the accepted the gospel, and then they perceived God of the Old Testament, or however you want to say it, as someone who is evil, and so therefore these these things can't be really from God. They sort of pick and choose what's from God. And then whenever they're confronted with them, they're like, yeah, well, I like you seem to be this cruel and master, this this cruel and uh, despotic ruler. And I was scared. And so, yeah, I hid it away in the cloth, whatever. So it could be meant to be read that way, too. But I'm not necessarily sure if that's the case. That That's stretching it. Um, but, yeah, as far as the people who are being killed, those seem to be the ones who have outright rejected them as king and did not want them to be king. And so. Yeah, so they're killed. Well, um, James is really always up on eschatology. So I'm gonna Me? ask I'm gonna ask you what what happens after the uh millennial reign of Jesus Christ? What's the next step after that? Uh, isn't that the great white throne and, and the judgment seat of Christ? Uh, when is that? The judgment seat of Christ? Is- well, but see, you remember, see, I don't know. Re- I don't- remember when all you, the... Let me, wait, let me correct you on something. Okay. I have said before that that, that I, I'm not as interested in eschatology as I'm other things because it seems like to me the closer you get to it, the more it changes from what you thought it was. And so I've, I've learned it basically... What, what's going to happen? But I, I'm not. I'm not one who, who dwells on it very much. Well, remember that the holy city, New Jerusalem, is going to come down out of right. heaven. Okay, there's not going to be any more oceans anymore. No more sea. Remember that? Are you with me on that? I thought there were going to be oceans twelve. And there's. I'm not sure what that meant. But it also talks about um, 
you may lose my train of thought. <laughs> it also talks about during the uh, tribulation, there's going to be these sheep and goat nations that um, somehow did not take the mark of the beast. And actually, what I was getting at, and I thought you'd come right up with it, this, but that's okay, James. Uh, it seems like that the whole kingdom of God is going to be set up on this globe, on this globe. And uh, we are going to be ruling at that point. That, that, goes, along, that goes along with these meanings. Jim, do you have anything to say on this? I, I, I heard someone coughing or something. Yeah, no, sorry. That was me adjusting my phone. Yeah, you um, he was trying to tell you as you were assuming facts on evidence. It's not a globe. It's flat. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what generation are you out of? Are you Generation Z? <laughs> but anyhow, has has any of my people here on this podcast, have they ever heard what I, yes. I, I just said? Okay. Please, you know, give me an amen or something, okay? I gave you a shake of the head. Well, that wasn't good enough. But anyhow, anyhow, I'm thinking, I'm looking at all of that, and I'm thinking maybe he's talking about that period of time because there, it talks about still people uh, living and dying. Jim, is the great That's white throne before the millennium or after? Oh, I don't know. I'm not developing that eschatology. I, I that would make me. a difference to me. Here's well, why. Here's why. All right. So you have the you have the judgment seat of Christ, the great right throne. Judgment seat of Christ on that one. That's where our works have been judged. And look to see what you did. And it seems like to me, if you're going to get assigned some position in the millennium, you had to have that happen first. Mm -hmm. Look, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I mean this. But when it comes to eschatology, I think we need to learn it. We're, we're, we're required to. We're told to. Yes. But. Don't think you got it figured out because it seems like every every time there's been a fulfilling of prophecy, you go, oh, my gosh, it fits. But I didn't see this coming. Jews thought that they thought Jesus was going to come on a horse and start shooting people, you know, knocking them down with swords. And, and he did. He came as a savior. He came to, get, to to rid the world of sin. They they jumped ahead. They got over some. Well, that's what I'm saying. So I realize that I need to have some idea because the Bible instructs me to understand or to read eschatology, but I'm not one. I'm not willing to guess as to what it means. Well, and yeah. also, you know, the global warming that is going to come when this whole earth is burned. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be caused by man. All right. So where were we? Well, we're, we're, we're trying to fit this Mina and this whole uh, talent uh, Mina thing. We're trying to fit it into eschatology how it's going to work then during the millennial. If someone dies at a hundred years old, they'll, they'll be thought of that. They died very young. And then at the end of the millennial, it seems to me like there is a, another battle because the devil has been put down in, in, in into hell and he's going to come out and he's going to fool a, a bunch of people. And, um, uh, there's going to be the last great battle. Glenn, you got some bad, Glenn? No, I mean, I think this is very interesting. Um, and it does show, you know, the Bible just always, the stories in it and everything, just the amount of information in a simple story is always something that I, I'm in awe of and how it can mean so many things in the same parable. Um, and, you know, I think everything we've talked about today is valid and it's not out Side the mainstream at all, right? If you look at the scholarship, um, and, and you know, we say you look at read it on the face of it, it seems like, yeah, you got to not use your talent, you got to use your talents right, or 
you know, or your money right or whatever. But really, Jim brings up the idea, is this a, could it be all, all of those at the same time? In other words, it's teaching us about the kingdom. It's teaching us about stewardship. It's teaching us about how you should, you know, not sit on things because everything's dynamic. And it teaches all of us that in this one parable. That is a simple one that almost anybody could at least read. Mm-hmm. Uh, that to me is the power of it. You know, uh, how it can, you know, how, how do you put all that together in one thing as someone who tries to communicate a lot of times and is unsuccessful? I wish I had a tenth of that type of ability. So anyway, that's what I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the, like these passages again emphasize a continuity from this world to the next. I'm not necessarily sure if my mentality of Christianity before my sort of second great awakening, you can call it that. But I don't know if my mentality is representative of a lot of Christianity in the United States. It seems to be in the sense that resurrection's just not emphasized to me. It doesn't seem that there's someone who has really counter to a claim whenever you say, we don't know what heaven's like. People say, yeah, that's right. We don't know what heaven's like. But the Bible, time and again, tries telling us, look, this is what heaven's going to be. In fact, Christ over and over and over again says the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he puts it in concrete terms, and we can envision the kingdom of heaven with those concrete terms. And so one of the concrete terms that he uses here is stewardship over many cities. And so we can gather from that. There's going to be some sort of conscious responsibility that's being carried over into the next world from what we do here. And that's highly important. Like that means that Christianity is the exact opposite of some sort of nirvana that's expressed in Buddhism or so some sort of platonic idea that when we die, like the end goal is for our souls to be released from the prison. That's the body. No, the body and the soul are, are somehow mysteriously spiritually connected to each other. And that these things are going to come about at the end days. It doesn't matter if you can't rationalize it in your head. The fact is that Jesus Christ, who died and rose from the dead, who's our Messiah and King, said these things. They're going to happen. I don't know how and I don't know why, but it's something that we should be ready for. And that's what this parable is getting at. And so that's sort of big takeaway for me is that you've been given a meaning in this life. It's going to carry over to the next one. What are you going to do about it? That's good. I agree. Is everybody waiting for me to say something? Always. This <laughs> <laughs> is James' perspective. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's Wednesday. Um, <laughs> you know, I, there was yeah. a lot said there. There was a lot said there, and and I have I, I know this that that every time I see something about what the kingdom of heaven is like, it's always given to us in a in a, in a in a way i think of jesus saying you can experience that now that you can experience this this is what the kingdom of heaven is like you can experience it now uh, and, absolutely and, yes and, and i i preach it i look at it like that's my big thing is yeah. that i don't know i know you say we do it's going to be something great it's going to be something beyond what i'm having now even but I get to experience as much heaven as I'm willing to experience. What yes. it sounds like to me, yeah. Jesus was saying, why wait? 
Why Terry? Do it now. Enjoy it now. And so I look at it like I want my life to be as close to being with where I where I'm focused on the face of Christ and that I'm getting to get my inheritance now and see what it's like. That that's what that purpose is. And I still don't get it, Jim. I know you do. I don't doubt the Bible is saying it's going to be great. What I'm saying is, is that that greatness is beyond my comprehension as how we're going to experience it. It, it. It's going to be, it has to be some type of success, but I don't, but I, but that doesn't mean I'm playing it down because you know what? He says I can have it now. Right. Why would I tarry? We're, we're to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is anybody broke in heaven? Is anybody sick in heaven? And, and, and it says, let your kingdom come. So the kingdom of God, we can declare that the kingdom of God is in our life now. That's the Lord's prayer. That's what we're supposed to pray. But, but I will say that what, I, what Jim's brought to me today is that it's not going to be in you. Uh, it's not going to be some type of long, uh, chronic uh, border in heaven. And I've, I've probably said things to make Jim think I think that. That's not really what that, that, that there's some that, that, that it's a hammock up there. Get up there and get in the hammock and rest. Now, you good and faithful servants, you're done. I, I don't think I think the point you're making is, is that we would be unhappy. We, God did not make us to be um, bored. He, he has he's going to give us something to do that we like to do. So what Jim is saying is we're all going to be matched up with our our perfect job and and. And, and some of that's going to be what you did here. And I mean, if I'm getting right, getting what he's saying right. Right. Well, yeah. And and so as far as the uh, now and not yet, that's a prevalent theme among Protestants. I think it's the correct one. I think that there might be some sort of misunderstanding, not by you, but by some. It's like, well, the experiencing it now means uh, comfort and rest in God. And what I'm seeing from this passage is, no, the experience, the experiencing it now is the Mina that you have and the stewardship that you have over that Mina. And so what you, the extent of what you do with that, like the guy who made 10 Minas, it could be argued worked really hard to get the 10 Mina, to get the one Mina to 10 Minas in this passage. And so he wasn't sitting around just sort of being present with God, you know, in God in his house or whatever he was doing. He was he was actively going and producing the ten minas. And so the experiencing heaven here now is producing ten minas so that while you're in heaven, you're producing or you're stewarding over ten cities. And so you 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 do see that experiencing heaven now, but it's not what I think a lot of people would conjure up in their minds is what experiencing heaven is. Experiencing heaven now is getting out and doing the work. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to agree with that. I mean, I'm, I'm 64 and I've got too much work, it seems, right? I know that God's going to allow me to get it done, but I've never been happier in my work. I'm extraordinarily busy. And then you would say it's high stress. I would really say it's not anxiety, but if stress is there, I'd be lying to say there's not a lot of stress there. I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm very happy with what I'm doing and, and it's going to produce money. There's no question. It is producing money. And, and that's, so if you're saying that that if, if that I do believe that that's part of me experiencing heaven, but I, all I know. So so again, it's not for it's not. It's, I think that I think we're talking a little bit past each other because I want to emphasize it's not work. It's it's work for the kingdom. It's very specific. Well, I mean, my work is for the kingdom. I mean, my goodness, everything I do is. 
I mean, I, I would say that if I if I did if I were doing a job, okay, let, I run a topless bar and I make a lot of money. That's not doing the work of God. I don't think at all. But helping a family that 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 is going to be bankrupt because of, of someone's fault and helping right, them. Yeah, get, I just want I just want to make that clear. Like I wasn't that wasn't accusatory. It's just I want to make sure that we're on the same page. That it's not work for work's sake. It's, this isn't some sort of uh, proverb that's meant to be a general truth for everyone living in a naturalistic world. This is something that's talking very specifically about the type of work that you're doing. And so it wasn't accusatory. I was just making sure that you and I are on the same page as far as what we're talking about whenever we say that experiencing heaven right, now. Let, let me just sum it up, Jim. Let me just sum it up. I don't care what it is that I'm doing, right? I, I'm seeking ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you. Yes. I know that we have the inheritance now. So I know that every morning I'm seeking Christ's face. I'm, I'm, looking, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to see that. I'm trying to do that. And my work is dedicated to that. My friendships are dedicated to that. Do I stumble? Yes, I'm human. But I want as much of that kingdom of heaven as I can. Well, I would assume that if he sets me to work today to do in a, a, a particular case, that's the work I was given today, and I think that I need, and that's supposed to be what heaven's like. And and even if you're a garbage man, that garbage man is he needs to look at his job as working for the kingdom. Yeah, and every yeah. now and then they'll find like a really expensive quarter. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and so, but like, yeah, so again, I think that you think that I was accusing you. No, Jim, I don't think that. <laughs> I'm glad to say that, that, that I'm just clarifying what you're saying to make sure you understand that I believe that that what you're doing is seeking the kingdom. I think that Chris thinks the kingdom. I think Glenn seeks the kingdom. I think we're trying. and But I think it's vital. And I think that's what this parable is saying. It's vital that you understand that you're seeking the kingdom now is actually changing Amen. what the kingdom is going to be like when you get yes. there. Yes. Very good. Yeah. Am I yeah. getting that right? Changing, changing the leadership structure. And yes, I think so. And again, to the Calvinist who's listening, this doesn't mean that it's outside of God's control. It means that God has implemented this program in such a way as he's set the standards for leadership. And if you meet those standards, you get that leadership. It doesn't mean it's outside of his control. You just met the standards that he met and he's happy about it. And so that's that's what I, that's what I'm gathering here. And so, uh, anyway, um, yeah. So if we're on the same page as that, as far as the work that you're, the work that you're reproducing is something because lawyering can be can be for the kingdom and it cannot be for the kingdom. All right. And so, just because someone has been given a plot in lawyering doesn't mean that well, if they work hard at it, then that's what's producing the ten minas. It's got to be something more than that. And I'm not like again. This isn't towards you. I'm just saying that work for work's sake is not what this is talking about, and that's the last time I'll say that. God wants us to work. He wants us to work, but it's not work for work's sake. And so I, I'm trying to emphasize that that this is this is not like these these series of passages are talking about the kingdom to come, and that's not something that just wants you to um, work at it. Because I don't know, because you're giving effort. It's that Colossus passage that says 
Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart is working for the Lord, not for men. So you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as the as the reward is Lord Christ your serving. That sort of that sort of mentality, which I think that you carry over into your office, I would say that all of us try doing that our best in our individual work. It doesn't mean you have to give up your work to go work for a church, but you orient the work toward Jesus Christ. And so I, I know a dentist who did this, and it was actually kind of cool how he did this in his office. Um, so he used to be an atheist or agnostic, or I can't remember what he was. He was, he was reared in a Catholic church and it kind of drove him away. Anyway, uh, whenever he had a second, uh, he he had a second, like sort of prodigal son moment, he, uh, re reorganized or reoriented his office to where it became a clearly Christian company in the sense that, um, you know, he was unabashedly Christian to the new employees that would come and say, look, we're a Christian office. We talk about Christianity, but we're not going to impose this on you. But just understand that that's the environment that you're coming into. He would have uh, commentaries, devotionals and apologetic books uh, out there in the waiting table for his uh, customers. And then whenever the customers would come in, first he would try helping those who were needy. He, he volunteered himself in missions as far as uh, offering free dental services to the poor. And then he also um, he, he would also like if the conversation ever came up, he would pray about it, that the conversations would come up. But if they ever came up. He would try sharing the gospel as much as possible. And so he all this time, he was still a dentist. He was still functioning. He was still earning an income for his family. But it was much more than the work at that point. Like his 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 business became a vehicle for sharing and exemplifying Christianity, if that makes sense. Well, I mean, so I, that, go ahead. Yeah, and, and, well, that, and I was just going to say, so that's what I mean by work being more than work. All right. Well, I mean, I, I do something similar here. When we hire a new employee, I let them know that we have less than 15 employees and I'm not woke. I'm going to say what I think. And if you don't like it, go somewhere else. Is that, is that the same thing, Jim? No, that's not the same thing. <laughs> I do do that, but that's what, what I, I've never, I mean, the Christianity thing bleeds through here. I mean, it's, you can't come to this office and stay here very long without realizing it's a Christian office. I mean, it, my kids, that's the first thing they want to talk about. You know, if you talk to Jim or Sarah or, or Jim, Jim, Sarah, or Doc, that's what they're going to talk about. And um, and the reason I say mentioned them and not Katie is nothing to do with her. She's not here, but these three are involved in the office. He, Jim Jim FX, but he's there. So I would say we do that, but I don't I don't have a, I don't have a program in place like that. Mm-hmm. I can't say yeah. this. Well, I think that you also do a good job offering the podcast. Like and, you know, we at least have once a week where we get to talk about these things. And so I'm like again, none of this is direct. I know that. I know that. I will say this though: everything that is light, if God, if light shines, if God shines light on on you, you may see something that you're deficient at, and you have to question that. And so you're shining a light on it. I'm going like, am I living this, doing my best to be a Christian lawyer? And I don't find it hard to do it at all. It's real easy. Mm-hmm. You just do what Christ says to be. be you know, be. Be fair. Be don't 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 steal. Don't covet someone's wife. Uh, that kind of stuff. And lawyers do some of those things, but but not here. I'm just not going wood. Yeah. Well, I think a good example of sort of I don't want to really expose too much of the inner workings of the office, but there have been conversations 
about how we handle divorce based on our Christianity. And so your Christianity bleeds through the office. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's, I think that's one of those things that has directed us in certain areas to go another way because it's not, it's not uh, conforming to our Christian worldview. We don't try to make our Christian worldview work with secular lawyering. We try making, we try taking what we can from lawyering. What, what can we do? within the confines of Christianity. I think that you do a good job of that. And and you're also very adamant about not borrowing from the trust that's stealing from the clients, you know, things like that. Like we don't want to steal. We don't want to cheat. We don't want to do anything that's unethical. Like we go, we go out of our way to be ethical. Like that's one of the things that you do a really good job at. Like just even if it means that we're going to be close to broke, if not fully broke at certain points. And so it's really good practice and, and it's, it requires us to trust on God. And there have been moments where I have, it's required me to get on my knees and pray, which is really good in certain areas. Like it just, it, it's, it's unfortunate that sometimes it takes me to get there, like that we're in such a helpless situation that I have to pray, but that's what God wants. And so we do a lot of, like, I'm not like, again, we do, I think you do a lot of things that are good. It's just whenever I heard this Dennis story and how he, how he was able to, take work and subordinate it to God's kingdom, then his works looks like something entirely different and he was blessed in it. And so it's one of those things where I, I just saw that I was like, okay, that's how you could take a secular structure and reorient it to the kingdom to where you're not leaving behind your secular job to go work in a church. You're still doing it, but you're spreading you're still spreading the kingdom in that way. Yeah, you know, uh, it, one of the things that we do here it when a client comes here one of the first things we tell them is we're not gonna lie to you and you're not gonna lie to us and you're definitely not gonna lie to the court we make that clear from the beginning we're going to take your case and what it is it is and it, it, at first i i didn't do that i i didn't lie but i didn't make sure that the clients knew that as well but a client that comes here knows that we're going to trust god to take care of that and we're going to deal with whatever the facts are I see what Jim's getting at. I really do. Uh, I, I try, and he knows that. He, he, I was very flattering what he said about me, I'll be honest with you. But it is true. You know, we do our very best to make sure that if, if, if a client says we took $112, you know, already it was repaid, and we, we usually just say, okay, do we do the, the Glenn thing? It's a, I'm not going to fight with a client over $112. Does that make sense? But, but, it's, but the most, the big thing is, like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Recently, a client said, you said that you would do this. And I went, you know what? I know you wouldn't lie to me. If I said that, we're going we're gonna to stick to that deal. It's just how you have to do it. But I, 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 I will say this. I'm not one, right or wrong, I find that I do better in a situation where a person, that's why I think I, I like being a lawyer. I'm going to get into this. Lawyers are two things. One of them is a counselor. We don't talk about that side of it. Well, we are literally able to call ourselves counsel, okay? And when someone comes in and they've had an affair and they want a divorce, I'm not doing it, but I will counsel them. Do you get back on your, with your wife on your knees? And if she says, no, I understand it because adultery, abuse, and abandonment is going to get you a divorce. But I'm not doing that for you. I'm not going to do it. And if children are involved, even if the other one did it, I say, go back, try to fix this. 
got children involved here. You don't have you, you don't have that right. So what he's saying is I do do that, but I always it comes to me. I don't go to it. I don't go out and look for problems. I don't go out and look to tell man this person needs to be administered to. And I could sit there, you know, of an example. Hey, you're not asking me. I'm not. I'm not going to say anything. The second you do ask me, <laughs> I'll give you my mind. I, I don't know, Jim. I I want to say this. It was flattering what you said, Jim. I'm not, and I do soul search probably too much, but I do it on this program to let people know that's what I do. The second God shines light on something, I'm going to soul search. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> Am I running my business? I'm, I'm going to ask myself that again today when I get through here. I'm going to ponder this. I'm going to say, Am I really doing what Jim said? I should be doing. And Jim, you are a minister of God. I'm listening to you. I don't, you know, I don't care if you're my son. I mean, Jesus, Mary had to listen to Jesus, got to listen to Jesus, had to. So I don't have a problem being directed from by my son. And my, in fact, both of my sons are amazingly into heck, Sarah too. Mm-hmm. They say something, I'm going to listen. But anyway, I, 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 I want to tell you where, where I got, we're, we're, Jim's going to have to go here in a second. I want to say where I got out of this thing and just make sure that, 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 that Jim knows I, I, I think I got what he was saying. This is the deal. That that verse isn't as much about God rewarding that person here on earth for taking care of business, God's business. He took care of God's business, and it's going to be rewarded in eternity. True. And the joy that he's going to get is magnified forever and ever and ever because he's going to be over multiple cities he's going to assuming there's no rigging of the elections he is going to be in multiple you know you're saying so but it's not work for work itself it's doing what god wants you to do so it's it's a god it's serving god Mm -hmm. that's it did did i get it yeah and just for the sake of my life preservation i get your comparison but i am going to uh say that uh i don't want to be compared to jesus you know, just in case I get struck down like Herod did, you know, when people were uh, were hailing him as a god. These were Greeks that were doing that. What, what did I say to make you say that? No, you said, you said, well, Mary had to listen to Jesus. And I know what you were saying. I fully understand what you're saying. Oh, oh, oh. Well, no, yeah, no, no. I'm not comparing you to Jesus. I am saying yeah. that parents sometimes have to listen to, or get to listen to a very wise son or daughter. And I I have always, I'm going to tell you something, all of my children, I've learned from them. Jim, Jim's, uh, I will tell you that I think I get from Jim. Uh, At a very young age, it was natural almost, but he never mixed work and play. He was doing one or the other. Even here, if he he would work and then, but when he would stop, he would go talk to to Monique a lot about, because she was Catholic and he was Protestant and they would compare theology. Basically, it was amazing how much that lady knew about her theology. But that was play to him. But then he would go back in there and he'd go to work. He's never mixed them. He's not in there. He's not in there playing solitaire or something. He's working, and I've always respected that about him. And Doc's a peacemaker. You know, if you, got, if you, you don't have to be around Doc but a few minutes to realize that he's a peacemaker. He's not a wimp, but he's a peacemaker. And and I, man, I like that about him. You know, I, and I've learned from from him. And um and and. <laughs> Sarah, is it a more difficult to explain? <laughs> I would, I would say, bluntness. <laughs> but we learned, and then Katie, you know, she's she's all 
you know, off the off the charts as far as when it comes to seeing the truth. When someone try, you can't lie to her. You know what I'm saying? And so I learned from them. I do. Uh, but I, but again, I'm not comparing you to Jesus. You know, you, you got, no, but you know what? Yeah. The thing about it is, aren't you trying to become Christ-like? Can't I yeah, recognize yeah. that you have Christ-like things? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. So. I hope that you never say you're Jehovah. <laughs> I will yeah. tell you, I'll draw the line there, Jim. If they teach uh, you. <laughs> well, there's a oneness of God aspect that I think that we forget a lot of times too. And we can talk about that some more, but um, yeah, Jesus, Jesus prays that we be one with the father as he's one with the father. And uh, I, I, it's a John 17 passage that we can go, we can go look at some other time. All right. Do you, it, it, yeah. Oneness, oneness, oneness with the father. And I, Oh, so this is one thing that I wanted to get in before I leave. I think if I'm reading the pulse right, that there's about to be a backlash to the backlash of legalism, if that makes sense. So before our generation, or even, no, before your generation, there was legalism. And legalism might have bled into your generation, but then your generation really developed the idea of, uh, of grace alone, which is, is very important, uh, in that uh, this, this strict obedience thing is very Pharisaic. And you're your generation pointed that out, but then that led that led to a mutation of that belief to where people said, "Well, I, I accepted Jesus Christ, and now I'm finished. I'm done. Like I've done it, and I got my reward." So there's now sort of a backlash that's happening to that mindset, where more and more people are saying, "Look, this this grace by or or salvation by grace alone thing does not eliminate effort." And you guys have just eliminated effort completely from the picture, and we're about to bring that back. And I think that you're about to start seeing preachers preach that more. They're going to, I think, be very careful initially uh, in saying, like, look, we're not legalistic, but Christ does say if you love them, you will obey his commands. And that requires action, and that means that you guys can't just be sitting in the church, or you guys can't just be going out and partying on weekends or whatever it is you guys are doing. Like church discipline is about to come back and be a thing. All right, and I for, I foresee that from what I'm. I'm, I, I'm I, I would I would def I would definitely say that that I do not like your summary of the way our generation saw it. Mm-hmm. I, our generation saw salvation, the portion that's justification. We saw that as a free gift, and you had to accept it, and that's it. You couldn't earn it. Mm-hmm. But I will say that the. The RB thing who I learned under stressed, stressed that you are now being sanctified. You are persevering. You're walking with Christ, which means that you have got to get sin out of your life. You're trying to free yourself from that power of sin. And that if you don't, and he, and you truly did accept and that you revert so bad towards wrong, God will take you out, bring you home. You're done. You're done. It was, it was a fear in my life. Maybe wrong as a young age. Oh, I don't want that. You know, so I realized that there were works, but they were works that were at the direct of God. Legalism, I looked at it was me looking at saying, oh, um, I don't see Jim doing the right things here. He's out wearing, um, he's, or he came to church wearing Hawaiian shirt. He can't be of God. That's what I called legalism. But, you know, really what Jim said resonated with me because I believe that he's right, that 
the generation that we grew up under was very legalistic in a lot of the churches. And I'm talking about usually small churches. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know how many times that uh, you, you, you could go and feel like you need to get saved again because the way that they were preaching. I mean, but, but I think if, if I'm getting him, it's sort of it, let me see if I got you what you're trying to say. You're trying to say that you think that there's going to be a backlash on this idea that I'm saved. I can go do what I want now. And I don't think I don't think that anybody I know taught that. But I have heard people say it. Mostly, so, mostly people who weren't didn't believe the way I believe. Oh, you believe justification is a free gift, has nothing to do with your work, so you can just do what you want now. No, I never said that. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not saying like any of the preaching that you were reared under taught that, but I am saying that uh, a large portion of the population thinks that once you're saved, like then uh, you've done it, and it's it's more of a comfort thing. Like I can. Go to church on Sunday after getting plastered on Saturday. Um, but, and I think that that's, that's a, there's a general pulse in the population that sort of believes that to be true. Whenever they hear this, it's grace alone, it's not by your works. Well, then what's to keep you from doing that? And I'm not saying that anybody's necessarily preaching that, but two consequences have come from this backlash of legalism, which is sort of that mutation. I call it a mutation because, uh, I think a lot of the preachers do see it as such, um, that, there's this grace alone, therefore works eliminated. And then on the other side of it, there is uh, grace. It, this is grace alone. And uh, since it's individual salvation to Christ, then salvation has largely been seen in an individual context. And so there are, there are two things that I'm seeing at DTS as far as pushing back against this idea that uh, that. Yes, you can't earn your way to salvation, but your salvation requires effort. So that's the first thing. And then the second one is that salvation is not individual. Salvation is community. They're starting to sound a little bit like the Catholic Church in that way. And I think that there's a lot of uh, there was there was a lot of Protestant pushback against what the Catholic Church was saying. But the more and more you read the scriptures, or at least whenever I do, the more I do see that this is a this is a community element to it uh that the baptismal right could have been this is the theory produced by a protestant from dcs that baptism whenever you talk about baptism for the remission of sins is the community's forgiveness of your sins right and so this is something that requires a community salvation does and it's also something that requires effort even though you're not earning it. well that's a change from three weeks ago um well you, you were talking about whether it needs to be public performance Profession or a public profession uh, when you do the baptism, and I think you're saying I don't now, think it needs to be a public confession. Profe- you don't think it has to be public? No. Okay. No, I, I think that, I think that you can get baptized one on one. Okay. Yeah, it's just an initiation. Yeah. I don't so, have an, I don't have an opinion on that. I like the way that we do it. I like the fact that we're doing it in, publicly. I like it. Now, do it. Does that mean that it's that you disobeyed God if you go do it privately? But I want to know why you did it privately. If you just say, hey. I want to be baptized right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's, you know, that was depicted very well in the Jesus revolution at the end. They go, they, they come from, where'd you come from, Texas? Uh, when can we be baptized? He says, why not? Why not right now? Yeah. You know, why yeah. wait? Why wait? But you know, back to that, that movie, I see, all right. I don't know how much time you got. We, we got four more minutes before the podcast is supposed to be up, but um, 
when I when I considered what Thane was talking about legalism and he was against it, I think it was like the old people in that church looking at the at the kids coming from the, the hippies coming in and they didn't have on their shoes or you know they they might have stunk a little bit whatever but they were going they don't they're not those people don't belong in our church because they don't and they they probably had a list of things that was keeping them from what they they, they shouldn't have come because of these things that's the legalism he was talking about stop judging other people based on their appearance stop judging, judging other people as to how they talk, it's not that. It's it's Jesus Christ, it's accepting Christ, and then it's starting the walk with him. But that walk is part of salvation. I don't I, I've never heard it any other way. I can't I can't even sense I can't even get it in my head that works aren't vital to your salvation. It's just vital to your it's tried vital to your Christian walk. That's all. What, what am I missing it, Jim? No, but I think what you're missing is the church discipline has become largely irrelevant to the oh. churches. And so, and so oh, oh, you're saying you, could, you should bring them up to the front and saying, hey, you're a, she's a hoe? No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that you follow the steps that the Bible is laid out um, and that DCS is, uh, as far as what I'm feeling with the pulse, it's getting us more and more back to this idea of church discipline because we've been really, really, really lax. Like, the only people that really uh, get church discipline um, administered to, like typically, this is a general thing that uh, it's not me seeing it, it's other people seeing it. Typically, the people who are given church discipline are only the leaders, not the congregation. And this was not the case. This was never supposed to be the case. Like everybody who was part of the body was to also be subject to church discipline. Not, Not so that they would be condemned to hell, but actually so that they would be saved from it. Hey, you have a blind spot. You're not seeing it. I see this. And then if they don't believe it, then, well, it's not just me seeing it. It's these other two people who are seeing it. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, I see it. And then if they still don't believe it, then bring them in front of the church. Old church says, hey, we all see it. That person still doesn't believe it. Then put them out, hand them over to Satan, so that they, it's kind of like the office situation. The office starts having money problems, guess what? I start praying. That's a repentance thing. You get kicked out of the church, that's a really big wake-up call. Start praying. Repent, return, come back. It's not It's not meant to be sort of any idea of condemnation to hell. It's actually a saving from it. And so I'm starting to see I, that. I, I think I'm getting you now. I, I think I'm getting you now. And, it's, and the reason I wasn't getting it is because I've really never gone to one of those churches, I don't think. I think that, well, I did, one. Okay, and I'm not going to name that name. I, I see what you're getting at. We need to say sin is sin. Yes. Yeah, and and, and, and then first you do it by the preacher saying this is sin. Then if it's a friend of yours and he's hanging around too much with Peggy Sue, you got to come and say, hey, you're hanging around with Peggy Sue. No, I have not held a flashlight as to what you're doing at night, but you're hanging around with Peggy Sue too much. Is that right? Yeah, it could be like your truck was over there. At- 11 o'clock the other night and I was just driving home wasn't sneaking around but yeah something like that and I and, and, and I, I was guilty of that one with somebody I did not ever admonish them and I knew that they were up to stuff and and I've since I, I get you uh, maybe I failed that person yeah so I think I think I'm starting to see that come back a little bit more that um race is not individual 
that this is something that is like the spirit moves through the community. And so the community is required for one's, um, not necessarily one's justification. I'm not saying that like you and I would agree that's required for one's sanctification, but that uh, whenever one is being sanctified, that requires a community effort. And part of that community effort is church discipline. And we've been super relaxed on church discipline because we're scared of being legalists. That's what I'm seeing over here. Well, I know that it can't do it on its own, but the atmosphere is perfect at PJ's Coffee for purposes of reconciliation. <laughs> well, James, <laughs> you mentioned that. Uh, that is absolutely true because uh, you're going to have wonderful coffee, boosted teas, all-natural Red Bull, and, of course, delicious breakfast pastries, uh, lunch sandwiches, breakfast sandwiches, along with an atmosphere that not only allows for reconciliation, but allows you to do all the good works that God wants you to have. I know I do better on caffeine. Thank you guys so much. I always enjoy these podcasts and learn so much from it. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Pastor. And we will be back next week with more podcast fun. Bye-bye. All right. See you guys.